This is God's church, not just this congregation, but the church worldwide, the church down through history. It's not our invention. This is not our institution. This is not our brand. It's Christ's church, and we just seek to reflect that as best we can here today. We'll dismiss the kids to Kingdom Kids now. They're headed back to the foyer. Teachers are there taking them across to our CE Center, and, and while you're uh, turning to Romans 14, I'll remind parents specifically to make sure to pick up your kids from there right after the service. Romans 14 is where we're going to be here together, so I hope you'll have your Bibles uh, open there with me, first part of Romans 14. Once there was a, a Christian man who was shipwrecked in a storm and stranded alone on a desert island. After many years of watching the horizon, watching and waiting, he finally saw a ship and frantically signaled he was saved. Now, when a landing party came and, 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 and I mean, they, they were amazed at his survival, survival skills, but they were also surprised when they saw three huts. He was all alone. So they asked, what's with the three huts? He said, well, that one's where I live. That's my house. And that one over there is where I go to church. Like, oh, well, what's the third one? Oh, that's where I used to go to church. (laughs) Now, you laugh like you never heard that one before. That's an old joke. Um, I I grew up Baptist. It was usually told there was a Baptist stranded on a a desert island. But no no, no slam. That's my my heritage. Uh, So... um, that's where I used to go to church. There's some humor in that old joke, but when you think about it, it's also pretty sad, more sad than funny, how easy it is sometimes for churches to split, uh, but uh, for Christians to divide over uh, non-essential issues, sometimes petty, uh, even silly reasons. And, and while we have seen in the last couple of chapters in, in Romans uh, 12 and 13, Uh, The world is in a battle of good versus evil, and Christians need to be clear as to what side they're on. It doesn't mean every issue is black and white. Uh, If we're going to stick together as a church, we're going to have to know how to navigate our disagreements on certain issues. And Paul is going to teach us how throughout chapter 14 and into chapter 15. So this is just going to be the first of three sermons on this topic. So it's not everything that Paul has to say on this. But we'll get started today with Romans 14, verses 1 through 12. Uh, so, why don't you follow along as I read. Romans 14, 1 to 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. 
The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will, have to, will give an account of himself to God. This is God's Word. It's as far as we're going today. There's even more to come in the rest of the chapter, but this will, this will be plenty for us this morning. Here's our theme. We may be tempted to judge each other, but the Lord alone is judge of all. I hope you're hearing the theme of, of the Lordship of God and specifically of Christ in this passage. We may be tempted to judge each other, but the Lord alone is judge of all. So we're going to cover these three paragraphs in three parts. Here's the first one. Part one, you are not the Lord. Good thing to remember today, you are not the Lord. Don't take God's job by judging other Christians over disputed matters. Now, before we get to the why, why we shouldn't do this, we really need to clarify the who and the what uh, that Paul is addressing, the original context, what was going on in the church of Rome. And if we don't get this clear, we won't be able to make uh, appropriate applications to our situation today. So just, just starting with verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Okay, so in the church, there were certain individuals who he describes as weak in faith. Later, uh, in, at the first verse of chapter 15, Paul also refers to the strong, uh, presumably strong in faith. But the, the issues that uh, Paul talks about gives us more clues to their identity. And the first is there in verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, later on in the passage that I haven't gotten to yet, verses 14 and 20, refer to the issue of whether the food is clean or unclean. And that seems to imply that the debate here had to do with restrictions related to food from the Old Testament law the law that God gave to Israel through Moses, whether that food was, was kosher or not. And so uh, there, there weren't, the Jews were not vegans, but they it, perhaps, again, this is kind of trying to read between the lines here, if in Rome uh, there was not a kosher butcher available, a, Jew, a Jewish believer might have said, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just not going to eat meat if I can't get it kosher. Now, if that's the case, and that's, there's some interpretation there, the other issue in verse 5, verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike, that likely refers to the Sabbath or other Jewish holidays and festivals. Now, in a passage that I'm not going to read this morning, but you could look at it yourself, we probably will bring it in later in this series, or in these next few sermons, um, from Colossians 2. Paul is very specific about the Sabbath, the Sabbath or other Jewish festivals as being a point of, of contention as to whether 
believers, Jew and Gentile believers, needed to follow those things. And specifically for Jews, uh, Jews who now believed in Jesus, whether they should continue to observe those traditions, even if they weren't looking to justify themselves by that. Um, so all this seems to be confirmed when Paul concludes this section uh, in chapter 15 with a celebration of Jew-Gentile unity in Christ. Now, have, so, so we're starting to come, uh, the picture's starting to come into a focus. This is a Jew-Gentile issue, but we need to slow down because it doesn't mean that all the Jewish believers were in the weak category while all the Gentiles were in the strong category. In fact, Paul, who still clearly identifies himself with his Jewish heritage, see chapter 11, refers to himself among the strong in chapter 15. So most likely it was some of some of the Jewish believers who were the weak in the sense that they still felt the need to observe these laws even though they didn't have to. Um, they, they thought that was appropriate in, their, in terms of their Jewish heritage. Now, I get a lot of clarifications here. One more. If, the, if those uh, weaker brothers, likely Jewish believers, uh, if they had been claiming that that obedience was necessary in order to be saved, in order to be justified, we, we know Paul would have dealt with that very differently. I mean, even earlier in this letter, he made it as clear as possible that no one can be justified before God by the works of the law. All are justified through faith in Christ. That's the only way. So if that's already been established, apparently at this point on these issues, these Christians who were weak in faith didn't claim it was a matter of salvation, but more a matter of being set apart, of, of holiness, of being distinct from the world. And that fits too. When you think about the fact that the old, in the Old Testament, those food laws and the Sabbath laws were at least partly about distinguishing God's people from the rest of the world. Now, what's Paul's take on the issues? Okay, we've got, we've got in the church believers of different backgrounds, Jew and Gentile backgrounds, but all believers, and there's some different practices now over disputed issues, and what, okay, so what's Paul's, Paul's take? Paul settled this for us. Now, it's clear that he's not neutral on the issues. I've, been, I've referenced chapter 15, verse 1 now a couple of times. Look at it with me. Chapter 15, verse 1. Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We'll just notice, so we've got weak and strong. He's identifying with himself with the strong, and he describes the weak as the, the failings of the weak. So he's not neutral. He's not saying well, everybody's viewpoint is the same or has equal merit. He's not saying that. So why doesn't he sort through the issues? Why doesn't he give a definitive ruling from his position at, uh, of authority as an apostle? Stop arguing. Everybody can eat meat. Go on with the rest of your day. It, does, it just doesn't matter. He doesn't do that. Why doesn't he do that? I think it's because settling the debate was less important than confronting their mistreatment of each other on these debatable issues. And that can be a temptation for both the weak and the strong. Both sides of the debate can fall into that, those problems. See, you see there in verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who abstains. 
Did I just mess it up? Let me say that again. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. My eyes jumped a line. All right. Uh, okay, here's, here's where I think we need to bring Rome into Mount Morris. What are some of the issues that Christians disagree over today? I mean, nobody's objecting to serving pork chop sandwiches at the corn boil. Uh, praise the Lord. Uh, free, freedom in Christ. Amen. Right? They might object if somebody pulled out a case of bush light. Maybe. No? Right? Uh, can a Christian consume alcohol? Or is it fine as long as you don't get drunk? What about marijuana? Well, we'll use it medically and not recreationally. What about gambling? Well, you might never go to a casino, but that, that fundraiser raffle doesn't count, or the, the NCAA office tournament office pool. I, I mean, that's not gambling, right? The, the list goes on and on because Christians will land differently on those issues. And, and, and there, some, some of the issues are big, whether or not a Christian can serve in the military or whether they should use contraception, or what kinds. And then there's lesser issues, like whether, uh, whether Christians can chew tobacco or get a tattoo. But Christians are landing in different places, and they've got opinions, we've got, we, and we're all, ma- we're all making choices all of the time how to live faithfully as a Christian in a fallen world, in a world, world full of temptations and compromise. And of course, where the Bible is clear, there should be no debate. And on, on, frankly, on many issues, that's where the argument lies. Is this a clear biblical command on this issue or not? But when you don't have a definitive chapter and verse of Scripture, or, or maybe only a handful of passages that speak sort of indirectly to the issue, you, you search the Scriptures, you think, you pray, you take your position, you draw your line in the sand, and then you look down your nose at everybody else. No, no. Yeah, yeah, we do that. We, we're like, ah, how can they be so strict? Or how can they be so worldly? You're tempted to despise the abstainers. What a bunch of legalists. I can't believe they're stuck on all those old-fashioned rules. Or you're tempted to pass judgment on the partakers. Oh, they seem so loose. That sure looks like sin to me. Okay, maybe according to your standard to your convictions, your position on the issue. And we finally arrived here at Paul's first reason to welcome every believer, but not to quarrel over opinions. Verse 3 again, and then verse 4. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Why? For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So if God has welcomed him, if God has welcomed her, having justified that person through Christ, giving them a righteous standing before God at the final judgment, who are you? Who do you think you are to judge? Are, are you gonna, who are you to condemn the one whom God has acquitted? Are you going to climb up and sit at the bench? You're going to, you're going to take the gavel to, to bring it down where apparently God's not going to do that? Like is God, you think God's overlooking some evidence? Do you think God's being too lenient that you need to get up there and pronounce guilty? You are not the Lord. You are not their Lord. Did you notice the, the footnote there in verse 4? If you're looking at the English Standard Version, maybe you're 
translation has it differently. The word that the ESV translates as master is the same as Lord later in the, the same verse. It's the same Greek word for Lord. Now, why, so why did the translators do that? In such close proximity to translate, translate the same Greek word, Lord, two different ways. Why would they do that? Well, I think what they're trying to get at is we're so used to, we hear Lord, oh, God, yep, Lord, the, the Lord, God. And we don't hear that in, the, in that culture, Lord had the, the idea of master. It's, it has to do with the relationship. They're highlighting the relationship here uh, so that Lord refers to the sole authority over his servant. That's what it means to be the Lord. Not just God, but the sole authority over the master's servant. Now, have you ever, have you ever had a coworker who thought they were the boss? Like, especially when the boss is not around. They just, they just sort of step into that role. You know, I'll just, I'll just start giving the orders. I'll, don't be that guy. Uh, you are not the boss of your fellow Christians. The Lord makes the rules. You don't. They stand before their Lord. They don't answer to you. And here's the beautiful thing that, that we see in this section. Their Lord, the Lord, is able to make them stand. Now, shouldn't that be a relief to know that your brother and sister's well-being is not up to you? There is a place for accountability. Don't get me wrong. Paul would agree. When he talks about we need to confess our sin to one another, sometimes we need to, to rebuke one another, we need to exhort and encourage one another. Yes, your, your brother and sister's spiritual well-being, there's a part for you to play. But get this distinction their spiritual well-being is not up to you. It's not on you. Praise God, it's on Him. And if it's on God, they're going to be okay. The next part we're going to look at is in the middle paragraph, the heart of the passage, and this gets at the bigger principle. So uh, follow along verses 5 to 9 again. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be, both, be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Part two, we live and die to the Lord. Accept those having different convictions, yet the same goal to glorify God. Accept those having different convictions, yet the same goal to glorify God. Now, when, in verse 5, Paul says, one person sees it this way, another person sees it that way. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He's not saying, hey, whatever you believe is true. Not saying that. He's not a moral relativist, not, hey, you got to live your truth. You do you. No, he's not saying that. In fact, it's just the opposite. Just, just because there may be more than one position that is permissible uh, for believers uh, doesn't mean that we don't need to wrestle with the issues. 
He's saying, on contested issues, you will have to use your judgment. In fact, verse 5 here, the word esteem uh, in the ESV is the same word as past judgment in verse 4. So don't judge each other. You do need to use your judgment when it comes to the issues. Right? You need to study it out. You need to think it through. You need to learn from the wisdom of others. You need to consider the, the, yes, the traditions and, and the ways that Christians down through history have, have responded to this issue. Use good judgment, build strong convictions, and act accordingly. Don't just flip a coin or go with your gut. Don't just do whatever's easiest. Study, think, pray, then live boldly doing what you believe is right. That's what he's getting at. Now, at that point, if, if every Christian is taking their ethical decisions seriously, careful when it comes to following God's word, even if we may differ in our practice, we will share this principle. Everything we do, we do to the Lord. Everything we do, we do in honor of the Lord. Well, let's make this a little more specific, a little more practical. If, if one family chooses to participate in Halloween and others do not, if the, if the kid or the dad who gets the bag of candy thanks God for it, oh, thank you for these Reese's peanut butter cups, oh, praise the Lord. If they're, if, they are eat, if, if they're eating in honor of the Lord, giving thanks to him, God, this is, this is what a blessing. The other family who says, no, you know what, we're sitting this out. Uh, it, it just, you know, the, the darker associations with this holiday, witches and vampires and blood and death, like in their abstaining, they are seeking to honor the Lord. They each have their own line of reasoning, but better to be intentional in honoring God and differ in practice than to have everybody agree but have no intentionality about honoring God. Don't you think that's better? Because we could just, either we're just going to flow with the culture, do what everybody else is doing, or we're going to be intentional and with, with the best of biblical intentions, we may actually land in different places. Better to be there than just sort of kind of all flow and maybe agree, but without much intent. See, as a Christian, you no longer make choices based purely on yourself. What do I like? What do I want? What am I used to? What did my family always do? What, what, what advances my agenda and goals? How can I best fit in? It's rather we do not live for ourselves. It's what does God want? What shows Him to be great and good? I am willing to, to act and sometimes curtail my activities. I'm willing to forego my preferences because I'm seeking to honor the Lord. 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 8 to 10 overlap quite a bit with this passage here in Romans 14 and 15. And you may remember this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do you remember how it ends? Do all to the glory of God. And in the context, it's not just eat or drink or whatever you do, whether you walk down the street or whether you're playing uh, football or whatever you do. It's whether you eat or choose not to eat, whether you drink or abstain, whatever you do, wherever you land on some of these issues, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So this becomes very practical in terms of coming to your own position on debated issues and as well as relating to others who differ. So let's, let's think about uh, your own position on the issues first. So let's say you're thinking about uh, going to a movie and there's some content. 
some Christians might come to the conviction. I heard someone uh, share with me this week. They said, you know, we never watch anything with a certain rating and above. Uh, and if you choose to do that, to abstain in order to honor the Lord, that's good. You've, you've thought that through. You've got some guidelines for yourself. You think that's wise and best for you. Uh, and, and others shouldn't wave that off, uh, that concern with the simplistic, well, hey, I'm no legalist. Uh, I can watch anything. Oh, wait, oh, okay, hold on. Are you able to honor God in your watching? See, that, that makes it a different thing than just, well, are you strict or are you uh, more relaxed? Well, I'm not strict, so anything goes. Whoa, no, 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 no. Can you honor God in watching it? Will you be able to, to use the phraseology here, will you be able to thank God for it afterwards? Thank you, God. That was a, such a, a wonderful story. Now, it doesn't mean that every, every um, movie has to be you know, there's no bad language or there's no violence. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in the content in the Bible, so to speak. But if you better use good judgment. You better build strong convictions and then act accordingly without just taking in whatever's on the tube. The principle should shape your, your position. Do I honor God? Can I thank God for this? And it should also shape how you view others who differ. You might think, you know, I think that the best kind of worship music is very formal. You know, the kind of, the kind of music that they played for Queen Elizabeth's funeral? Uh, what, a, what an expression of the beauty and majesty of God. Awesome. But if you recognize that others may dance and sway and clap in worship, and while that sounds very different and it moves to a very different beat, if you, if you can recognize that they too are seeking to honor God, then all of you can live together with your differences without despising the, the stand-up straight and, and sober singers or passing judgment on the, the hand raisers and the shouters. See, this is something that we, we try to do to a degree uh, with our range of music. We don't want to get extreme in either direction so that, you know, everybody is upset, can't stand it. Um, but on the other hand, we want enough variety in our expression that reflects the fact that we're, you know, we don't all just have one worship sound. There are many ways to honor God. And, and if we're, each of us is sometimes stretched, it's probably a good thing. We could all be stretched a little more, I think, in, in either direction now and then, uh, in our reverence and our exuberance. Because, why? Verse 7, for none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again so that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. This is not you do you at all. Hey, you know, you know some issues aren't black and white. We have disagreements. You just do you. It's not that at all. In everything, Christ is Lord. Did Jesus die on the cross for you? Yes. But in another sense, he did it all for the glory of God. He died on the cross, rose from the tomb to redeem a people for himself. He lived and he, he, he died and he lives again so that he might be Lord of everything. And we belong to him. We are the Lord's. We are his servants. He calls the shots and he gets the glory. 
Let's move to the last part of the passage, verses 10 through 12 again. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is part three. We will all stand before the Lord. So you are not the Lord. We live and die to the Lord. Last part, we will all stand before the Lord. Don't judge your brother. You will have to answer to God for yourself. That should be sobering. It should get you to pump the brakes. Uh, Verse 10, in many ways, repeats verse 4, sort of bookending that middle paragraph. This time, Paul brings our family relationship into the discussion. That person you are despising because you think they're too strict or passing judgment on because you think they're too worldly, hey, that's your brother or your sister in Christ. And this family relationship flows right out of that previous paragraph. He says, we all, whether living or dying, enjoying or abstaining, we, we are the Lord's. We're all siblings adopted into the same family. We're all branches grafted into the same tree. And we're all servants having the same master. So back in in verse 4, Paul was making sure you know that you are not the Lord. Here he's making sure you know that you too are his servant. There would be times when our, our boys were younger when one of them, I'm sure each one of them at different times, one of them would get a little bossy with the other, and then Katie and I, uh, or I, would intervene with the not-so-gentle reminder, hey, hey, who's the parent? Hey, who, who, who's, who's the mom? Who, who's the dad here, right? And, and true, sometimes the orders they were giving to their sibling were actually in line with what we would have said, um, what, what we would have wanted, um, but other times it was simply what they wanted, hey, you've had that toy long enough. Give it to me. It's my turn now. Like, ho, ho, oh, stand down, bossy brother. Back off. Paul says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? In some sense, it's a rhetorical question. Like, hey, you don't have any right to do that. You're you're not the dad. You're not the mom. Uh, Some sense it's rhetorical, but it's probably worth us to think, okay, so why do I do that? Why, why do I want to uh, criticize my brother's convictions if they're different from mine? Am I, am, I, am I really concerned about their spiritual well-being, about their testimony, or do I just want to prove that I'm right and they're wrong? I just want them to, if I get them to behave like I do, then I'm validated. Or I don't, I don't want to, uh, I've chosen this position, and I've really thought it out, I've worked, I, I, this is what I believe, but then they do something else, and they seem to have, they've given themselves more latitude. Well, well now I'm missing out. And, and, and suddenly you're not living by your convictions. You're like, well, hey, that's not fair. Is that really what you're concerned about? We have to ask ourselves, why, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? There's other, a lot of times there's other things going on. I just want to prove that I'm right, or I just want to be in charge. But your brother, your sister, answers to the Lord, not you, and here's, the, here's what he's driving at, and you will answer to him 
2. Verse 11 explains this by quoting Isaiah 45, 23. You may be more familiar with another place it is quoted in the New Testament in Philippians 2, 10. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. This quotation is really just getting at the same thing as he said in verse 9. So verse 9 again, for to this end, Christ died and lived again so that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. You want to talk about being on the right side of history? This is where it's going. Christ will be acknowledged as Lord of all. That's where history is going. What difference does that make, okay, at, for the topic at hand? Okay, it's this. If Christ is Lord, you should spend less time evaluating your brother's convictions, your sister's position on the issues, less time judging your brother or sister in the way that they're genuinely seeking to honor the Lord, and more time giving thought to what he's going to say about you when the time comes, when you will stand before him. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Sometimes uh, we Christians picture the the final judgment as a formality, like my salvation is, is settled, it's done. So, you know, it's going to be uh, like, like going through airport customs, you know, they, your passport, please look at the picture, look at you. Yeah. Okay. Wave them on. That's, that's not what the final judgment is going to be like. Now, true. If we are saved from God's wrath for our sin, having been given a righteous standing in Christ as a gift of mercy, you have nothing to fear at the judgment. But, and I'm not saying that your works are going to be what gets you in. No, but the Bible says repeatedly, like 2 Corinthians 5.10, that the Christian's service to God will be evaluated and rewarded at the final judgment. Let me say that again. The Christian's service to God, your yes, your works, the good things you do, will be evaluated and rewarded at the final judgment. So while we should take warning... That, and you have to leave this in the mix as well. We should also take warning lest our works demonstrate that we were never believers to begin with. That's something that some of us maybe need to hear. But if that's all, if all that's the case, that we're all going to stand before the judgment, some of us will be shown perhaps not to be genuine believers. Some of us will be, he will be looking at the things that we have done. That means we should take uh, means, practically speaking, on, the, on these debated issues, we need to mind your own business and, and look to your own household. You're, you're worried about them and what they're doing? Maybe you need to look at yourself. Are your affairs in order? We may be tempted to judge each other, but the Lord alone is judge of all, and that includes each of us. If we're mindful of the fact that, hey, I've got to answer to God too, you're going to be slower to step in where you should not in terms of someone else. I'll continue to say, it doesn't mean we shouldn't uh, have accountability among believers. Again, confessing sin to one another, rebuking one another where appropriate, exhorting and encouraging one another to follow after the Lord. Yes, we're involved, but condemning one another, that's a different thing. That's God's job. Now, that's a, that's a pretty sobering way to end this section, but if, if, as we've been pointing out, 
this last part is essentially, uh, verses 10 through 12, is essentially repeating verse 4 with a, a bit of a twist, then there should be another echo from verse 4 that I think we can pick up again. Now, verse 4 again, but this time, instead of reading it about a fellow servant, hear it about you. It is before your own master that you stand or fall, and you will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make you stand. Is that not true of you? Of course it is. That's not, that's not me playing fast and loose. We're supposed, to look, we're supposed to look at your fellow believer and say, hey, they're going to stand before the Lord, and the Lord is able to make him stand. And right now, somebody is looking at you and say, hey, God. they're looking at you and they're like, ah, I'm not sure about that guy. Hey, the Lord's able to make him stand. That's you. He can make you stand. For all the ways that, that judgment day should humble us, should sober us, should focus our convictions uh, on, on doing whatever honors the Lord and, and steer us away from, from condemning, despising fellow Christians. If we are in Christ, we need not fear that day because the one we stand before is the one who can, who will make us stand. That's the hope. So are you today, would you... Would you fall into the category of being strong in faith? Well, just remember, the strong do not stand in their own strength. So don't get to, yeah, I'm not one of those weaker believers. Yeah, I'm, I'm strong. No, hey, the strong do not stand in their own strength. Are you weak in faith? This passage says, you're welcome here. We're not, we're not, like, we're not looking at you side-eyed. No, come on in. We're not going to fight about this. The church... This church is where all those who sincerely seek to honor God, albeit in different ways, with latitude allowed by God's word, together we come before his presence. Let's bow the knee together as brothers and sisters. We are the Lord's. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, there are many issues, questions, complexities in our world that make it hard for us to know exactly what, all we, what always is right or best. If we had all the answers in the book, our Bibles would be so big. But you've, we're trusting that you've given us enough. We're trusting that by your Spirit and with the counsel and care of loving brothers and sisters, we can sharpen one another in terms of our convictions and, and help guide and, and encourage one another to keep pursuing God in whatever, wherever we land on some of these debated issues. But God, I pray that you would help us. Hold us together. May you be what unites us. One in Christ. Standing together on your word that you may be glorified, that you may be Lord of all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we respond in song.